1: To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Dr. Eric Fung. He's the Vice President of Clinical Development at Grail Bio. Here's a bit about his bio. He has, uh, he's an executive with experience in IVD test development, including biomarker and discovery and validation, clinical trials, FDA submission, product launch, so... <laughs> Sounds like his experience goes through the whole life cycle of uh, you know, ideation to, um, to actual approval. And we're going to talk about uh, his work at Grail. So Eric, thanks for coming.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Could you tell me a bit about your background? You know, how did you end up at GRAIL? And then I want to talk about GRAIL itself.
2: Sounds great. So I've always had a longstanding interest in applying technology to clinical questions and clinical issues. And GRAIL was a natural fit for the progression of my career because I had done quite a bit of work in developing a number of different diagnostic tests using both protein and DNA analysis. And GRAIL was really transforming medicine and had... In my mind, when I joined about four years ago, the opportunity to really change the way we think about cancer detection. And what that really means is, as we all know, early detection of cancer is really the best uh, proposition for uh, survival and uh, bending the mortality curve you know most of what we've been doing over the last you know 50 years in the war of cancer has been focusing on therapeutics and you know when we look at many of the therapeutics that have been approved by the fda their impact on survival tends to be relatively short and that's because if we're still detecting cancer at a late stage we're really not giving ourselves the best opportunity to uh, reduce mortality And so Grail's mission to detect cancer early really resonated with me. And on the technology side, you know, the concept of looking at cell-free nucleic acid and and the circulating DNA that's shed by the cancer cells is really a a technological leap from where we have been, where we've been really looking at um, trying to detect cancer anatomically. And that's really what all of our current screening uh, paradigms really do in general. So mammography looks for... A, a tumor, colonoscopy, looks for um, a tumor. And we now have an opportunity to really utilize a novel technology to look at it molecularly. And so obviously there was a lot of work to be done and, and that's really why I wanted to join GRAIL.
1: So is this what's known as a liquid biopsy, you know, taking blood or other body fluids to look for tumor markers?
2: Yeah, the phrasing of liquid biopsy has been used uh, quite a bit in the field of oncology. You know, the, the way I think about Liquid biopsy, in, in its strictest sense, is um, a test that's utilized in individuals who already have a known diagnosis of cancer. And what we're trying to do is, in that situation, try to assess, for example, you know, what are the mutations in that in that uh, cancer, and that helps, uh, for example, determine treatment selection. The way that I think about what we're doing at GRAIL is not really this application, and I would describe it more as multi-cancer early detection, or what we say in shorthand, MSED testing and the the big distinction here is in multi-cancer early detection we're trying to detect cancer so by definition this is in individuals who we don't know have cancer yet and we're trying to detect that cancer, and and that's really the distinction between what I would describe as conventional liquid biopsy, and the you know the technical technical challenges and the clinical applications are distinct between mSed testing and liquid biopsies. And so when we think about um, what we're doing at GRAIL and developing the mSed test, what we're really trying to do is answer a two-part question. The first question is, is there a signal of cancer present or not? And the second question is, if there is a cancer uh, signal, where did that cancer most likely arise from? And that's really the, um, the clinical application of MSED testing.
1: So, okay, what's the difference between the MSED testing? What does it look for versus, let's say, a liquid biopsy? Uh, what's the difference?
2: So when we're doing an MSED test, um, and, and this is borne out through you know all the work that's been done over the last several years, we're looking at DNA that's been shed by cancer cells. And so early on, uh, we conducted a study called the Circulating Cell-Free Genome Atlas Study, or CCGA. And we did kind of a bake-off because we know that there are a number of different kinds of genetic aberrations in cancer cells. There are copy number changes in which, you know, uh, there's amplification or deletion of regions of the genome. There's also single nucleotide variants or very specific mutations. There are also epigenetic changes, so changes in the methylation patterns. And so early on, we had to really understand, was it necessary to measure all of these different kinds of aberrations, or was there a subset of types of aberrations that would make it advantageous to answer those two questions I I mentioned earlier? Is there a cancer signal? And if so, where did that cancer signal rise from? So in our first sub-study of this CCGA study, we did the bake-off. We ran the exact same samples using three different assays, one to interrogate each of these different kinds of aberrations. And while they they all had their um, abilities to detect cancer, what we found about the epigenetic uh, signal approach was that it also allowed us really to answer the second question. That is to say, where is the cancer most likely to have arisen from? And a lot of that has to do with the fact that epigenetics plays a a critically important role in cellular differentiation. And so your liver cells are different from your uh, cardiac cells or different from your brain cells. And a lot of that has to do with epigenetic regulation. And we can actually leverage that to help us answer that two-part question. So it's really based off of this early work that we did in the first study of CCGA that led us to focus on looking at methylation signals. Obviously, we progressed the technology quite substantially since then, and now we have um, achieved a, a very high performance that we have uh, reported out earlier this year from CCGA and from other studies that demonstrate the value of and the ability of looking at these epigenetic changes or methylation changes to answer the, those two questions that I described earlier
1: have you done any studies or has anyone done any studies in a mouse let's say that's cancer free and started doing these analyses then deliberately you know injected it or gave it a bunch of cancer cells and look for the the start of the biomarkers and the progression of them as the mouse goes along and develops the cancer
2: yeah so there's certainly been a lot of interest in in looking at what you know, what you might describe as the evolution of cancer genomes. And um, that's a combination of both molecular and anatomic localization. So in other words, if if a cancer starts out in a very specific location, what are its earliest genomic uh, hallmarks? And then as it grows and then as it metastasizes or spreads, you know, how does that metastasis signaling occur? What are the genomic aberrations that continue onward? You know, what we've dis- what we've come to understand, particularly from our work on in, in the development of the multi-cancer early detection um, test is that, and-, and this is not just unique to methylation, but that there are a number of diff- different genomic aberrations that occur, obviously, that uh, in cancer cells. And these genomic aberrations can be quite complex, but there are a couple of fundamental tenets that are important and really describe the success of the MSED test. So number one is that there are a number of genomic aberrations, methylation aberrations, that are fairly consistent across a number of different cancer types. And that really helps us um, answer that first part question of, is there a methylation uh, signal that describes a presence of cancer? The second fundamental tenet is that there are actually some very cell type specific changes that occur that are consistent. And so we get asked, for example, if a cancer spreads to the lung, Are our methylation signals more consistent with lung or from where that cancer came from? Because obviously, if the cancer signal that we detect is dominated by where the cancer ends up, we might actually provide a mislocalization uh, information. But in fact, those hallmarks of the original site of the cancer still remain.
1: Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show.
2: And so we can leverage that. And so even if there's a cancer that is metastasized to the lung, um, we are able to still um, be able to determine where that cancer came from. And so those are two important characteristics of kind of this evolution of cancer genomes that we have um, leveraged in the development of our NSAT test.
1: So for particular types of cancers, at what point are the, um, you know, the exudates that come off of them unique to the location of that cancer? And at what point does it change? Has anyone figured that out yet.
2: Yeah, so even um, the earliest stages of cancer can provide a hallmark of both the presence of cancer as well as where that cancer came from. And that's borne out from our data that we um, presented earlier this year from CCGA3, or the third sub-study of of CCGA, as well as data that we presented in our prospective um, study for Pathfinder. And what I mean by that is, as you all know, cancers, uh, particularly solid cancers, tend to progress from a Pre-cancerous state to invasive cancer, and that invasive cancer we describe as stages one, two, three, four. And so we can detect um, using uh, this methylation approach um, even stage one cancer, and we can in fact determine where that cancer came from even at stage one. So what that tells us is that the hallmarks, the molecular hallmarks of cancer, are present even at that very early stage, and um, we can detect those as long as there's a, a high enough shedding rate of that of those molecular aberrations for us to be able to detect.
1: How do you know the stage of the cancer that you're working on?
2: Yeah. So the way that we can determine the stage of a cancer is in our studies. And again, I want to emphasize that this is in our studies is one of two mechanisms. And it really reflects the type of of study that we're doing. So in a case control study, which is what CCGA, we're actually collecting samples from individuals who have a known cancer. And so they've undergone clinical workup. And um, that clinical workup usually is a determination of the stage of that cancer. So we basically have in CCGA a very large, robust biobank and very extensive clinical annotation of both the type of cancer and the stage of cancer based on all the clinical workup that that participant has undergone. In a a prospective study such as Pathfinder, uh, these are individuals who are not known to have cancer who received the MZ test, and when we return a signal detected result, then that participant undergoes a workup to look for that cancer. And when a cancer is identified, they typically undergo a a set of uh, tests to determine the extent of spread of that cancer, i.e. to stage the cancer. And so that's the way that we understand the stage of the cancer that we detected in a prospective study such as Pathfinder. So in both of these situations, usually the um, staging of the cancer is done either through uh, imaging or through some um, type of, for example, pathologic evidence.
1: So what, what did you, Eric, what did you notice or, what, you know, what did the technicians notice about, uh, depending on the stage, what was coming off the, you know, the various tumors that you're looking at? Does it change dramatically or what events in the life cycle of a tumor change? what uh, What kind of markers it gives off?
2: So, for us, you know our focus is on early detection of cancer so uh, while there may be applications to to understanding the specific molecular aberrations that occur as a cancer evolves and goes from you know stage progression, um, what's important to us is really the genomic aberrations that occur early on and our ability to, to detect those uh, aberrations. So yes, in the field, it is known that um, genomic uh, alterations accumulate um, as a state, as uh, cancers obviously um, evolve and as, as they spread. I think, as I mentioned earlier, the, one of the most important tenets that we have um, leveraged in the development of our MSED test is that the early genomic al- uh, alterations present in early stage cancers are detectable. And we can also um, look at those aberrations to um, help us understand where the cancer uh, arose from.
1: What's the path to taking this into the clinic? What what needs to be done from here?
0: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Yeah,
2: so, you know, we have done a, an extensive amount of work to develop and validate our gallery test. And as I mentioned to you earlier, key study was a circulating cell-free genome atlas study in which we were able to demonstrate that we could detect over 50 types of cancers. A second pillar of evidence that has been very critical is our prospective uh, clinical study called Pathfinder. And we presented our interim uh results at the ASCO meeting um, in June. So together, these uh studies have demonstrated the validity of the uh gallery test. And so, in fact, gallery is available today um to um partic- uh, to patients who um qualify for the test. It's obviously by prescription only and and needs to be um, prescribed by a physician. Um, Obviously, uh, there's work to be done to continue to build on the evidence that we have uh, generated, but certainly between CCGA3 and Pathfinder, we've been able to demonstrate the validity and safety of the test.
1: What stage can you calculate that you can see that's not seen currently with testing? How do you back it out? How do you... uh... Where again, to what stage do you anticipate uh, you can see back into?
2: Yeah, so so I think that there are uh, a couple important uh, concepts here. So first of all, today we only screen for a handful of cancers. So you know, as I mentioned earlier, we have USPSTF guideline recommendations for screening for breast cancer, for colorectal cancer, for lung cancer in a, a very specific high-risk smoking population. Prostate cancer screening is considered to be a, a sort of a conversation and a personal decision between an individual and their physician. And then we have a cervical cancer screening. So there are a vast number, and in fact, the majority of cancers that occur, uh, occur in cancers that we don't screen for. And that's really where um, the NSAID testing and gallery um, play a huge role, which is the opportunity to screen for cancers that we don't screen for yet. So when we you know think about the detection opportunities that NSAID testing offers, it's really the, the opportunity to work synergistically and complementarily with guideline-recommended screening. And together, we should be able to detect a substantially larger number of cancers than just using guideline-recommended screening alone. And this combination then should, in fact, allow us to um, decrease the overall mortality from cancer. And so when we think about the 50 types of cancers that we've been able to demonstrate that M-set testing can can provide, um, this is really the, the benefit. And, uh, you know, we have shown in CCGA3 and we have also shown in Pathfinder that we can detect as early as stage 1 cancer.
1: Oh, what what is considered stage 1 and... Like right now, how often are cancers uh, diagnosed or discovered at stage one? Is it very rare?
2: So you actually hit on a very important point, which is you know how often are cancers detected in stage one? Because we know that for many cancers, uh, survival at stage one can exceed ninety percent. But unfortunately majority of cancers are detected in later stage and only a, a fraction of cancers are detected in stage one, particularly for those uh, for which we don't currently have guideline recommended screening. What we can say is that, you know, MSAD testing will provide us the opportunity to increase the percentage of cancers that are detected in stage one. And you you asked the question, is what is the definite stage one? Um staging of course is uh somewhat different from cancer type to cancer type. But stage one cancer in general means that the cancer is localized to the organ in which it was developed. So and that's critically important because when cancer is localized, the treatment options are there. There are many more treatment options, including uh, generally surgery. And whereas once a cancer is spread, the types of uh, treatment options are more limited and, and less efficacious.
1: At what stage is it a tipping point therapeutically where the therapy has to be, it's usually a lot less successful and it's a lot harder on the person? Where does that occur?
2: So if we think about, you know, cancer generally staged um, as stage one, two, three, and four, Obviously, stage one, where it is uh, localized, is going to be have the best prognosis. A uh, stage four usually means that there's distant metastasis, meaning that the cancer has spread far beyond, or not far, but has spread beyond the uh, original site at which it was it developed, and that's uh, clearly um, an the stage at which the treatment options are more limited and we're often looking at palliative therapy. we're often often looking at survival rates that are you know in the teens or even single digits. You know each cancer type is somewhat different. Uh, they have different levels of aggressiveness. Um, our therapies you know don't work uniformly across all the different kinds of cancers. So as an example, if we think about pancreatic cancer, stage four pancreatic cancer survival, is in this, is, you know, is, is very low, whereas we might have a somewhat higher stage four survival and other cancers. But generally speaking, we, we, we think of stage four cancer as, as really being a challenge. Um, and we walk backwards from there where obviously stage one is where we would like to get people. And then, you know, stage two and three is often cancer type specific in terms of what the survival rates are.
1: What, what particular cancers is a uh, grail looking at? I know you can't look at all of them. So which ones in particular are you focusing on and why?
2: Yeah, so you bring up a good point, which is, you know, what are the types of cancers that we will most benefit from for early detection? And so we think about high mortality cancers. And and these are cancers that, you know, you walk down the street and you talk to people and and they say, oh, yes, I've heard that's a bad cancer. And those are cancers such as ovarian cancer, pancreatic cancer, esophageal cancer, liver cancers. And and those have, you know, we were just talking about a few moments ago, you know, very poor survival. Once it's spread beyond its um, original organ. And so those are the, where we can derive the most value in terms of early detection. There are other cancers that, you know, we have alternative means for um, early detection. For example, melanoma, right? Melanoma can be deadly once it's spread, but you know, a skin screen can be very helpful in identifying melanoma. And so developing a blood test to, to look for melanoma may be of somewhat less value than just utilizing a, a skin screen. And then there are other cancers that exist that are, um, tend to be indolent. And when we say they tend to be indolent, it means that they tend to take a very long time to kill a person or to, to spread. So, you know. We talked a little bit earlier about prostate cancer and you know, prostate screening, prostate cancer screening was really a big thing you know, 20 years ago using PSA. And that has uh, diminished quite dramatically. And as I mentioned earlier, it's really a conversation between each individual and his uh, physician, largely because we recognize that there are many prostate cancers that are indolent and won't actually kill the individual, that the individual could live with that prostate cancer for many years. So when we think about the types of cancers where, you know, gallery will have the most value, uh, it's really those cancers that we want to detect early because we know that when we detect that cancer early, we have a better chance of improving um, the survival from that cancer. So we think about these aggressive cancers and those are the ones that we, we have um, shown actually, fortunately, that we have good detection capabilities for. And a lot of this reflects that underlying biology, which is to say that underlying biology of aggressiveness is often reflected in the amount of, of nucleic acid that's shed into the circulation that we can uh, detect.
1: So how close are you with a, a clinical diagnostic that can be used in clinic? You know, how long away is that? What's in the way of uh, you getting there?
2: Yeah. So a- as I mentioned earlier, gallery is now available by prescription. And so, again, you know, a lot of what we're working on now is is education and um, education is a critical part of any rollout of a novel Test, but in particular, this kind of test, which is uh, quite revolutionary. So, you know, we're educating physicians um, about how to use the test, and, and you know, in what um, settings they should use the test, how to interpret the test. We obviously have to you know, educate the public, and you know, educate them about obviously the value of screening, the importance of adhering to guideline-recommended screening, and also the value of layering on MSED testing to um, to help look for those cancers that are not yet screened for and how that can help improve mortality. And then, you know, in the long run, there'll be additional um, data. We have ongoing studies that were aimed to look at, for example, you know, um, what is the uh, change in the cancer uh, stage based on utilizing the gallery test. And so, you know, do we show what we call stage shift, which is um, a reduction in stage three and four uh, cancer rates. And then ultimately, at the end of the day, what everybody wants to um, be able to see from a, a screening test is, a, of course, as I mentioned earlier, a reduction in mortality. And um, th- those are obviously uh, very long-term goals.
1: You know, Eric, what's the best place for people to learn more about grail where can they go
0: right so it'd be great to go to our website at www.grail.com and if people would like to learn more about the gallery test uh, they can go to website gallery it's g-a-l-l-e-r-i.com
1: okay well very good well eric thank you for coming on the podcast and, and i appreciate it
0: thank you for your time if you like this podcast